The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. Today, we're privileged to have back on the program Mike Berry, General Counsel for First Liberty Institute, and Tim Gegline, Vice President of Government Communications for Focus on the Family. And we're talking the religious liberty protections that we have today, and what does that mean for the church? So welcome, gentlemen, to the program. It's great. Thank to be you. It's great you. to be here. All right, Mike, you know, let's start with you. What a year. You know, wow. Uh, the religious liberty cases this year. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Coach Kennedy uh, defending the SEALs, the Boston flag case, the main school choice case, and the Alaskan Airlines case, which we talked about the last time you were on the program. Um, so what a year. But how did we get to these this point? And, and what are the fundamental cases? What do they mean for the legal protection for the church and her public uh, mission, mission and ministries. Well, I mean, I think the, the the good news for all Americans is that religious liberty is on an incredible winning streak uh, at the U.S. Supreme Court, at least. Uh, if you go back to maybe the past twenty five years or so, the t- past twenty to twenty five years, uh, I believe the the win the record now for religious liberty at the Supreme Court is something like twenty five and one. So there's only oh, you know, wow. sort of this, this one asterisk for for one case that stands out as sort of a uh, I guess we would call it a, a an a, an unfavorable outcome at the court, but other than that, it's been on an incredible win streak, and I think that that means a lot for our constitution and for people of faith in this country, people who care about uh, our our most fundamental rights as Americans. But uh, you know, but I also would offer a, a cautionary note that you know the that the good news is is that religious liberty continues to win. Uh, mm-hmm. The 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 cautionary note is that we still have a lot of work to do. The challenges continue, uh, you know, unfettered, and they they actually, the challenges continue to evolve. We're seeing an, an evolving landscape when it comes to religious liberty battles. Uh, and that's, I think, the people like me first at First Liberty, you know, uh-huh. who we're on the front lines to fight for our religious freedom, we see that and we understand that. We even anticipate that. But I think many Americans... Uh, you know, who who are not necessarily in the trenches every single day of religious liberty litigation, this can catch them off guard. So that's why it's so important for uh, people of faith to continue to pay very close attention to what's happening in the landscape. Well, let me ask you one more question to that. You know, when you think about this, um, these religious liberty protections, what... It seems to me that it, we win in the courts a lot of times, and the people who you know, we're fighting against in these, in this regard, uh, they just then say, well, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to obey that. I mean, we're just going to just go on as if, you know, as if we actually had won. Whereas when we lose, we tend to say, well, that's what the court says. And then we have to abide by the law. I mean, is it that kind of thing or, or is it morphing into uh, secondary challenges? Because I don't think people understand religious liberty is what finally protects your individual liberty, whether you're a Christian or not from government coercion. 
And so religious liberty is not just us being able to worship. It's what finally allows us to be free to be Americans. And that's why this is something that should concern everybody. So what is the next? What are some of the, uh, the things that are morphing on the front lines? Well, I think your first point, Greg, was was, was very astute, right? Which is, uh, it, it reminds me of a famous Supreme Court case from many, many years ago in which, um, and, and now I'm forgetting the name of the, the government official, but it was a a decision that was issued by then uh, uh, Chief Justice Marshall, right? Uh, John Marshall of the Supreme Court. And this government official said, well, you know, Justice Marshall has issued his decision. Now let him come and enforce it. Uh, and I uh -huh. think you're seeing that from a lot of, 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 of lower government officials who essentially are looking and saying, well, yeah, you know, we saw what the Supreme Court did in the Coach Kennedy case. We saw this, what the Supreme Court did. And even, you know, to use to, 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 to look at other areas of the law in the Dobbs case, um, or in maybe some of the Second Amendment cases, and they just sort of say, okay, well, that was just the decision of nine justices or, or, or five justices or six justices on the Supreme Court. We don't, you know, uh, we don't agree with them. So let them come and enforce it. And wow. I think what that speaks to is the importance of elections, right? And I know I realize I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I'm a religious liberty constitutional attorney. I'm not a politician. I'm not here to, to, to talk about elections, but I, but I do want to emphasize the importance of the American people exercising their rights, right? So the right to vote and the necessity of exercising that right is just as important if you want to exercise and continue to exercise your right to religious liberty, to free speech, et cetera, et cetera. So they go hand in hand. And that's how we ensure that those that the liberties that we all enjoy continue to remain. And, and I'll use one state, which the three of us are very familiar with, the, the, the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, and we saw what happened with the the gubernatorial race there when the people of Virginia, at least the majority of the people of Virginia, just got fed up with the government not doing its job. And they voted in a new governor because he promised, you know, I will job. do my job as governor. I will protect your rights and your liberties as citizens of this commonwealth. And I think that's what we need to see across the board, all the way from the town, the proverbial town dog, dog catcher, all the way up to U.S. president. Yeah. Uh, but then to your second point, Greg, yes, we are seeing the 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 parties and the the organizations and the actors who are bringing these challenges, who are trying to uh, to threaten and are hostile to religious liberty. We are seeing them also become uh, the, the, the threat is evolving. Right. Okay. They are they're changing the types of arguments that they're making, the, the way that they are. Uh, they're litigating these cases. We're seeing those movements as well. And so we have to stay on our toes. Well, wow. And, you know, Tim, I think it's great to hear of these protections. There's no doubt about that. Um, but again, Christians, I think, in churches right now, they still are afraid of all this stuff, whether it's the abortion clinic defacements. Coach Kennedy, I don't think, still has a job. Uh, the LCMS schools in Baltimore are are being harassed, and Jack Phillips is is being sued relentlessly. Uh, it's like it it's never seems to end. So, again, I think this goes to uh, we're not asking for legal protection to do our ministry. What we're just saying is give us legal protection. But now we need courage to get out there and uh, mix it up. What do you think? Well, you know, uh, when uh, in moments where you find yourself be between the proverbial rock and a hard place, 
it's often a good idea in the Christian life to repair to the great C.S. Lewis, isn't it? Right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and I read something from Lewis that I think goes precisely to the point that you just made. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only, he wrote, because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. You know, this goes, I think, precisely to the question of conscience in the Christian life. We love and revere the Constitution as Christians living in the United States. Uh, Christians in America, though very deeply disappointed over the years with very major decisions, Roe against Wade, prayer in schools, etc., you know, historically, Christians have said, this is what the court has decided. But to Lewis's point, as Christians, it is our faith that guides us forward. It's the, the illumination in the dark corners uh, of culture and, and, uh, and sometimes where our beloved country finds itself. Mm -hmm. And I think that, unfortunately, uh, we continue to see fellow men and women of faith utterly harassed, even persecuted. Um, and even for those, as you say, who have in air quotation marks victories, they go back to their hometown. And often um, it seems that it takes a long while for the law that's been decided to actually apply itself. But I, I continue to be genuinely uh, an inveterate optimist on these questions because we are winning over and over and over again. It takes time, it's incremental, but I, I, I think the trajectory is a good one for people of faith. I, I really believe that. Well, and I think we have to also speak to the fact that, you know, folks, freedom is a, this is the biblical proclamation of, of reality. Uh, I would say that the rest of the world, bondage, uh, war, harassment, lack of freedom, that's probably more the reality for the world in which we live. And here comes this message. It is for freedom that you have been set free, and that's God at work in the world. And so these political freedoms, uh, they're secondary at best, but they flow from the reality that Freedom is a the, the way God wants His people to you know to uh, relate to Him through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and God wants people to be free to worship, to be free to love, to yeah. be free to do what is right. And so, like you said, Tim, you know we're thankful for these protections. My goodness, it would be terrible not to have them. But let's just understand what the point is. We, we got to mix it up in the public square because freedom yeah. is good for everybody, right? And I'll tell you that that's why Focus on the Family and the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty loves our friends at First Liberty Institute yes. because they, <laughs> they understand uh, that, that, that faith uh, is not ancillary. It's not kind of outside some government-constructed guardrail. It's central to the project. Uh, because as C.S. Lewis said, our faith is the thing that guides us like the sun, but there are some very dark forces who want to obscure the sun and to keep the public square uh, you know, kind of polished or burnished away from the centrality of faith. And back to you then, Mike, I think one of the things is people have kind of the wrong view of what they expect government to do. Um, when you fight for religious liberty, you're basically fighting for us to all be at the starting line, to all have free access into the public square. You're not trying to determine what the public square is. You're not trying to determine what ideas are shared there. You're protecting a right to be there. And I think sometimes people look for you to do legally what they're supposed to do missionally or what they're supposed to do as God's people in the public square. So 
now the question is, these are great times for religious liberty protection. How can we put these things to work? Um, you know, what, how should people use the protections that they have been given in a way that probably hasn't been given in the last 50 years? I mean, we're, the church now seems to be protected from the state like the First Amendment wants it to be rather than the state from the church, uh, as it seems to have been litigated the last 25 years or so. How can they put these things to work? Well, I really like the way that you you uh, you framed that, Greg. I mean, the, the, one of the things that I often say at, at First Liberty, especially to our clients or to prospective clients, is we do what we do at First Liberty so that they can do what they do, right? They right. being the, the 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 people, right? Um, I can't I can't live out somebody's faith for them. They have to have the courage and the boldness to do that. Uh, I'll give a couple of practical examples. I mean, during the COVID pandemics and lockdowns, when churches were, many churches and in, in in religious uh, institutions were complaining about these overly repressive, you know, government lockdowns, First Liberty was on the front lines fighting to ensure that they could continue to meet and to worship in person if they so chose. Obviously, it should be their choice, right? right? We were not issuing edicts that, oh yeah, you know, you have to meet in person, you have to be maskless. No, it's just, if that's something that you want to do, then we then we will fight for the right for you to do that. But it would do nobody any good, Greg, if we fought for that right and that freedom and nobody took advantage of it. If every right. single church in America said, yeah, thank you so much for, for winning that battle for us. And now we're, we've decided we're going to go ahead and close our doors. Um, then it, it, it really becomes a meaningless right at that point. Similarly, being practical about this, there are a number of cases that are either currently pending or potentially pending at the U.S. Supreme Court that involve faith in our public life in in, a, in an, any number of facets, right? We, you've got cases dealing with uh, a, a web designer, right? Somebody who designs web pages. Right. And, and the government has effectively said, uh, you have to design a website that violates your religious beliefs and your conscience. Otherwise, you cannot exist. You cannot be in business. Uh, we have cases involving whether or not um, you know, social media companies and, and internet service providers can censor religious and, and, and essentially remove religious speech purely because they think that that is inappropriate for other people to, uh, you know, and, and they're protected by the government when they do that. Right. Because they get to be the ones that decide that religious speech is offensive to some people. And so we're just going to remove it from social media. Uh, we've got other cases involving whether or not you have the right as an American citizen to simply have a job if you hold religious beliefs and you're willing to speak out what those beliefs are. And that gets back to your question, Greg, is that so if we win one of these cases or win all these cases and we say you have the right to create a website that is consistent with your religious beliefs or you have a right to have a job where you're allowed to live out your faith openly. And then every single one of those areas of life, those facets of American life, those people say, yeah, thanks for winning that case for us. And now we're just going to go hide in our, in our, in our cave and not right. do those things. We're not going to live that faith out openly. We've, we've accomplished absolutely nothing. We have yeah. advanced nothing at that point. So it's, it's, it's the both and, right? You have, yes, First Liberty exists to keep those doors open, but then somebody has to be willing to walk through that door with boldness, with courage to say, I know that there are going to be people who don't like what I say. There are going to be people who will criticize me, but that's okay. I have the right to do that in this country, and I'm going to stand on that right. 
And, and at First Liberty, that's what we, we really want to encourage people. Live out your faith openly without fear, right? And, yeah. and it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be people who criticize you and attack you, but that's why First Liberty is here, right? Because we're the ones that say, you're going to have to come through us if you want to silence this person. Well, and it's the government coercion, folks. I mean, you know, when you, you can have disagreements with your neighbor across the fence, uh, be civil, be be good neighbors to one another. This is that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the heavy hand of government that says, you know what? We're not only going to not let you speak, we're going to compel you to say stuff that you know not to be true. And that our government has always, the First Amendment has always protected our right against such nonsense. And that's where some of this stuff is going. And Mike, like you just said, we've won these cases. These cases now are are working their way through um, this the court system where people are saying, you know, hey, you don't have the right to do that, and they're 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 pushing back because of the the great wins that you guys have had this last year. But again, like you said, we've got to exercise uh, our voice and and be that voice that can be protected. And again, the, it goes to the point: why would we want to be a public voice? Because people need to hear the good news of the gospel. I mean, that's when it all comes down to. All right. Well, Tim, you know, when we think about this, um, maybe it is the fact that people in the church didn't, don't realize that we've been fashioned for a time like this. I mean, I think sometimes people have this notion that it was it was more genteel in the past, and and you you didn't have to actually fight for the right to serve or fight for the right to share the whole counsel of God. In reality, we know that's not true. <laughs> you know, we just know that's not true. Um, so we're supposed to be people who are peace amidst the chaos, or bold for the truth, for the sake of the people with whom we disagree. Um, do you think the church is ready for this? I mean, is this maybe it's 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 time to realize this is what we've always been prepared for. You know, uh, my friend Eric Metaxas has just written a very important book, uh, which uh, he uh, says very, very clearly uh, that the church uh, needs to wake up. Uh, he says that the church, <clears throat> concurrent to its call, uh, needs to be a church of the left hand kingdom and needs to, you know, boldly proclaim the gospel as its, as its principal mission, but not negating the role of, of the, the public arena. Right. And, you know, I, I was listening to your uh, wonderful uh, question and dialogue with Mike a moment ago, and the lack often of commodiousness within our government. And uh, I was reading, I, I, I'm in the midst of reading uh, a series of letters and speeches from our first president, George Washington. And I, I want to share with you that this is the father of our, of our country. And I'm, I'm quoting him directly. He says, may the same wonder-working deity who long since delivered the Hebrews from their Egyptian oppressors and planted them in the promised land, whose providential agency has lately been conspicuous in establishing these United States as an independent nation, still continue to water them with the dews of heaven and to make the inhabitants of every denomination participate in the temporal and spiritual blessings of that people whose God is Jehovah. You know, this man was unanimously elected twice to be our first president of the United States, would have won a third time if he had decided not to voluntarily stand down. As I said, the president of our constitutional convention. Clearly, uh, this is a leader 
who uh, I think reflective of the men and the women who founded our nation, Greg and Mike, intended that this be a nation friendly to faith. Yeah, and to exercise it as such, because yes. standing, you know, limiting the government means you got to empower something. Well, they were empowering religiously motivated self-governing citizens. Yes. All right, Thanksgiving this month, biggest case, Mike. I mean, when you think back now on this year, you're thankful for, there's a couple of cases you guys have been involved in that have been phenomenal. Uh, tell us uh, off the top of your head, what what are the big ones that stand out to you? Well, the, the one that stands out first and foremost is the Coach Kennedy case. I mean, I've heard from numerous people now. I mean, dozens of people who have said, that 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 it really is one of the most important religious liberty cases of our generation uh and perhaps even beyond i mean it's a case that that if my kids or my grandkids decide to go to law school they will be studying that case right uh and 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 so it 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 i think we're going to see the kennedy case uh really have a major impact across the nation and then of course the other one that we shouldn't lose sight of is is dobbs and what the dobbs case means uh, and, and and overturning the 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 tragedy that Roe v. Wade was. Right. Uh, so those are the two, obviously, you know, headliner cases. But there were actually a number of other cases that are going to have uh, lasting impact. I mean, the other one that I think of immediately is the Carson versus Macon case, right. another First Liberty case with our friends at Institute for Justice uh, that stands for the right that uh, the government cannot discriminate against faith-based Americans when it comes to uh, where they send their kids and when the government subsidizes uh, school choice. You know, those cases, and, 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 and then we have the upcoming term, the 2023 term, that is already lining up to have some, some major blockbusters. I mean, on the issue of race-based college admissions, the, I mentioned the, the case involving the website uh, designer. They're also of massive importance to religious liberty, uh, particularly in the workplace. Right. And I think that's going to be the key, too, because people, you know, being afraid to be themselves when they're good employees, when they're not really proselytizing or, or or preaching in the office or something like that, but they're just being themselves. And somehow they have to be afraid of that as Christians. I think in closing, Thanksgiving for the fact that we have this message of faith and freedom and how powerful that message is, Tim, that's what the church needs to wake up to. If we've got these protections, we've been given access again in, in an unfettered way into the public square, we got to actually realize that there's a vacuum out there. The secularists have had a lot, you know, free reign in the public square for a while. And now we have to, we have to bring our very best to proclaim what we know yeah. to be true, not just for us, but for others. And so uh, we should be thankful, even if we're a little bit afraid of what, what could be next I, of what I god can agree. do i couldn't agree more gratitude is good for the soul yes uh and uh, and the gratitude that we feel for our nation i will say that this thanksgiving i am particularly grateful for four people i'm grateful uh for justice alito who drafted uh the the majority in the dobbs opinion i think he has turned out to be one of our uh stellar remarkable uh, justices i'm thanking god for justice clarence thomas Always. uh even beyond the supreme court i think clarence thomas is the greatest living american and i and i'm grateful for two people who are often forgotten for the late uh justice byron white 
who was one of the two dissenters in Roe against Wade. And I'm grateful uh, for William Rehnquist, who was the other dissenter and later became Chief Justice of the United States during the, during the presidency of Ronald Reagan. Because uh, Rehnquist and White, although they were, it was seven to two, they were willing to dissent in Roe. They dissented uh, in, in abortion on three other occasions. And it turns out that though they were considered the minority uh, in the short term, their view ultimately prevailed. It's the constitutional view. Well, truth always wins. So faith and freedom are, are part of God's truth for the world in which we live. There's a political aspect to that, obviously a spiritual aspect and dynamic to that, and we know how to differentiate those two properly. But Mike, thank you for your work. Go get them. Thank you. We certainly plan to uh, continue to to advance the cause of religious liberty for all Americans. Yes, much to be thankful for and much work still to be done. Absolutely. And thank you, Tim, for Focus on the Family. Thank you for your, your work. Onward. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 